0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces, NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase.
1: Thanks, everybody, for joining in. Today, we have a little bit longer episode, but I think it's got a lot of really good information, especially for people who are trying to figure out how to hunt deer in an area that might not be full of a lot of agriculture. I have Paul Putera as a guest. And he is a hunter from New Jersey who also does a lot of hunting in like Pennsylvania and just kind of the Northeast in general. He's got a knack for putting down some pretty good deer in those types of areas. He just literally a couple days ago shot a a really old uh, 10-pointer up in Pennsylvania in some big woods, public land, Uh, and he shot another one earlier this season. It seems to be a pretty common theme for him. And really what's interesting is, you know, number one, he has... An extreme mobile hunting strategy and when we talk about mobile hunting this guy's i think he put on like 25 miles he mentioned over a couple days span in order to finally get on the buck that he killed just recently here in pa and he's killing a lot of his deer on the ground with a bow too which is also interesting in and of itself so we go through a lot of topics in this big versus small parcels of public land in season scouting um, you know how much scouting time to put in versus hunting time what he looks for specifically in terms of finding big buck sign versus other deer sign, uh, trying to find a particular deer that fits in a style that you know that you're good at and can capitalize on uh, and kind of ignoring deer that aren't playing the the game that you're trying to go after. And then we, of course, got to dive into still hunting um, because that's, that's something that is just not that common really with a, a bow. Usually when you talk about still hunting, it's something that we talk about with, with firearms and he's able to do it pretty successfully with a bow. And it really fits his mobile hunting style quite well. So we we'll talk about pace, how to plan your routes and all that good stuff. We of course do a, a breakdown on this public land buck that he just killed from Pennsylvania and get a little bit more detail about how we went about doing that. And then we talk about hunting through the pre-rut, uh, what makes it potentially better in a lot of cases than actually hunting the rut if you're after one of those older deer. And then of course we talk about bedding and then food sources, both you know early season as well as mid season. And also we talk a lot about late season And what deer look for in terms of not only cover but also food sources during that time of year so a lot of great information in here hope you guys enjoy this episode as most of you know i've been using Onyx for several years for e-scouting and waypoint management in the field or at home i can browse aerials and topos map my routes draw lines and waypoints color code points of interest geotag photos of rubs or even what a specific tree i intend on hunting looks like so i can find it in the dark say for example Furthermore, I can download maps for offline use and, of course, browse public and private land boundaries. Use the code DIY for a discount on an Onyx Hunt membership. All right, on the phone today, I have Paul Putera, and why don't you give me a real quick background about yourself?
2: Well, I live in northern New Jersey
1: and been hunting since
2: 1996 I've been hunting big bucks since... 2003 and before that I shot a lot of deer just meat hunting and stuff and got kind of bored just filling the freezer so started chasing big ones so that's where I'm at now.
1: And when you say you, you chase big ones are you specifically going out and just scouting until you say locate a particular deer or two that you want to go after generally or are you uh, more frequently, just trying to go after sort of you know any you know three or four year old or whatever you know kind of caliber deer. Um, it a lot of depends on the areas I hunt. Some some places
2: like I, I I can't scout as much with uh, certain things, so I'll I'll just hunt them based off a of sign. And then during the summer months, I always like to go out and look for like real magnum bucks. Like I try to find like the biggest bucks I possibly can find and I'll, I'll try to focus
1: on them if I can, but if I don't locate one, then I'm just hunting mature bucks. And so if you locate one in the summer is kind of the, the strategy there that, Hey, if there's one here in the summer, he might not be there once hunting season opens up. But at least I know kind of the general ballpark of where you can start looking yep. for his sign in the woods. Exactly. Come fall.
2: Yep. Yep. It could be it could be two miles down the road when you first first find him, but you know if you know he's in the area and you know he exists, it's a lot more motivation to keep looking.
1: And so is most of the stuff that you're hunting like big track stuff where you can you know, feasibly get back on a big deer or just kind of, you know, scout it down until you, until you end up finding a deer sign? Are you hunting, you know, like a couple hundred acres, a couple thousand acres, a hundred thousand acres? What's the, the typical type of land that you're trying to pick apart?
2: Well, that's the interesting thing because where I'm, I'm living, you know, there's areas of public land that are five ten acres and then there's areas of public land that could be 40,000 acres. So, I really i'm just whatever whatever hits me first and i if, if I find something gigantic in a little parcel i'll hunt i'll hunt them that way and I'll hunt small parcels or if there's a giant buck in a big state forest or something i'm I'm going after him and it's different different ways to do it but trying get the same outcome.
1: Do you have a preference one way or the other? Like if you were to see a big deer in the summer, would you rather he be on a smaller chunk or a bigger chunk? Uh, no,
2: not really. I just like chasing the best I can find in the area.
1: So. Gotcha. Yeah, I'd say we have a mixture here of both small and and big. It seems like for me a lot of times what ends up happening is I might scout a small piece and then fall in love with it somewhat, um, or, or maybe you get – you know, summer velvet picks on it or something, but it just does not take much at all to move those deer off that area. If they're not already moving off under their own, yep. you know, relocation. And then they're just nowhere to be seen once the season starts. And I feel like I wasted a bunch of time on some of the smaller stuff, but then sometimes they can be gold mines too. But, um,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, it's like you hit them fast.
1: Right, right, right.
2: Got to gotta hit them fast because everybody else is going to hit them too. So you're basically, you're racing everybody else to the gauntlet to get on that buck first because it's, most of the other guys that go into them, they don't know what they're doing and they just go in and blow the deer right out of it and then push them onto private land or something where you can't kill them. So it's like if, if, if I don't have something like absolutely a magnum size buck, I, I absolutely focus on those smaller parcels with good bucks first because a lot of times they're, they're, Really, you don't have to walk that far. <laughs> yeah, <You know>, it's, <laughs> right. it's easier to get them but you got you only get like one or two hits, and then you're done. So you you got to just you hit it while it's on fire, and you get in there and you do it. And if you blow it out, you go to the next one and just keep going, and just keep stacking through all the little part parcels. But then later on in the year when the pressure is picking up, I like to switch over to big terrain where I can work out a buck that's getting pushed around and I have to worry about them getting pushed onto private land.
1: Yeah. And that, the big partial stuff is, is really, it's the intriguing stuff to me. Cause I mean, at least in the upper Midwest here, there's, and I know it's the same in various regions of the Northeast, you get these giant blocks of just unbroken timber in a lot of cases. And it's like, man, to the, to the guy who is just looking at that land from the 10,000 foot view, it's like, you know, it seems so vast and it seems so hard to be able to pinpoint, like, what a particular deer is doing. Um, but it definitely seems like it most certainly can be done, and it's done by people who know what they're doing.
2: Yep. The thing you got to do with these bigger parcels, too, is, like, it's the same as a smaller parcel. Like, the deer, the deer are going to be doing the same kind of things, but you have to physically zoom out on that map when you're looking at it. And you had to look at that overall pattern because you're they're gonna like if you have a if you have a five hundred acre piece, they're gonna be moving on a pattern in that small area. It's the same thing on a big parcel, but it's a bigger scale and they're moving farther when they're doing it. So like they could be in September they could be betting in one certain block area, but then hit October you get a food switch or something and they could wander wander off and be a mile away in another section and be really focusing on that so you have to you have to just kind of zoom out on these things and look at this overall like territory and like habitats
1: yeah and then when you I guess let, let's say you've done your early season stuff and small parcels you've gotten that kind of you know knocked off the list so to speak and now you're ready to transition to a bigger chunk. And you're looking at the map, you zoom out to the big picture and it's like, well, this time of year, you know, let's say there's acorns falling or whatever, it's your, your standard, let's say October, you start looking at that, you've already probably are are piecing together in your mind areas that are probably high interest that you're going to want to start scouting out of those, you know, tens of thousands of acres.
2: The bigger, the bigger the woods, the more you got to scout it and you got to scout it in season. There's no other way around it. Like you get these big chunks. And like the amount of times that I actually sit and set up per week, compared to the amount of times I'm physically just walking them walking around and still hunting with my bow, is you know I'm I'm I might sit twice a week, you know, and I'm just I'm constantly moving and looking and looking and looking and looking because you got to just keep on top
1: of it and find these shifts, especially if you don't know the area. You really got to walk then. And so, what what specifically are you looking for when you're doing those those scouting sessions during the week? Are you looking for primarily tracks and droppings, and and you know some some semblance of what they're feeding on? Uh, what specifically you're looking for there? I'm I'm looking for big buck sign.
2: You know, I'm looking for big droppings, big feet, big rubs, big scrapes. You know, cause they, I mean, deer, deer run scrapes all year round, you know, they might not work the bottom of it, but they hit the licking branches. So even if you find a scrape that's not worked real good and it looks like it's close to a primary bedding area, you could check that and you might find out that deer comes out to it every night and, and hits it and I'll just li- hit the licking branch and walk away. And I mean, I, I'll see it m- many times. I'll, I'll, I'll run cameras on primary scrapes in the middle of the summer and get, deer walking right up to it, big bucks and hitting those scrapes. if they're not hitting them, they
1: might be walking right through that vicinity anyway, and you'll catch them on camera or something like that. Gotcha. And those are only things, again, that you can find if you're doing that scouting. And it's for you in, let's say like the month of October, when the deer you know, they're not in the rut yet. They're probably not laying down as much of that big buck sign as they would be later in the month. You might be able to find say like one of those primary scrapes. And if you do find one, maybe you'll, you'll you know, throw a camera on top of it, or maybe you'll just give it a sit right away. But for the most part, you're still that time of year, just kind of roving around and just covering miles and and just not stopping until you see what you want to you know, effectively hunt. Yep. And, and even, even when you find that you're still not necessarily stopping, you're just slowing down and, and working your way through the area. It sounds like a lot of times I'm yep. hoping to see the deer before they see you. Yep. That's what I do.
2: And uh, I don't have patience. I'll admit that. Like I can't, I, some guys can sit there on a spot and they'll sit there for a week straight and they'll kill a big buck every year, you know, and it works, but I can't do it that way. I can't sit still.
1: <laughs>
2: so <laughs> I, I literally, I'll just keep going. If it doesn't look good, i just keep going. If I don't feel confident in it, i just keep going. And, you know, I'm sure I walk past deer doing it, because you know, sometimes they're just not making the sign that you expect. But I'm always looking for that deer that wants to play my game. You know, I'm not necessarily looking for a specific buck in a lot of occasions. So I'm just, okay, this giant buck wants to make rubs and scrapes and in early October, that's the one I'm focusing on because he's playing the game. He wants to make the sign that I can play him out with,
1: you know, so. Gotcha. So it's kind of like to give an analogy, you're the kind of guy who, if you're a turkey hunting, you'd you'd pass by land that, you know, there's probably birds on, but they're not talking. And then go find some other place and you strike up a gobbler and you go in and kill him. It's like whatever gives you the Absolutely. thing you know you can key in on that you're you're going using that to strike. Yep. That's I I'm, I'm want, I want the deer to
2: play the game that I know how to play.
1: Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's one of the things I've been struggling earlier this season is like, I'll, I'll be scouting a place and I'll know historically that I'm in an area that say like, I know the sign will be there eventually, but it might not be there yet. And so I don't know, like, is the buck just not in this area? Did whatever buck was using this last year get killed? Like, am I hunting a ghost type of a thing? but there's probably some place out there where there is a buck making sign and maybe I should just keep moving until, until I find that. Then I know for sure. Yep. And then those spots that were, were not hot,
2: go back and check them again. You know, keep going back and checking them because eventually it's going to get hot. If you know it's a good spot, it's going to get hot at some point of the season. why waste your time and sit there and hunt it while you could just be scouting and finding the hot sign, you know, just, And then just periodically poke back in there and check it, you know. And then, okay, yeah, now it's getting really good. Now I'll start to work my way through this and I'll pick it apart, you know. But until then, I'll just keep
1: moving until I find it. So when you start to get into a spot that looks hot, are you you trying to work – through it systematically and saying like okay I know about the approximate size of this area that is starting to look good and you're piecing together in your mind like maybe there's this hundred acre block where this is where the you know the deer I'm at is at and you start systematically working your way through that over the period of a couple of days or are you trying to basically get through as much of that as you can to find the best spot and if you you blow it you blow it but it's like you're just moving until you find the best of the best at any given day
2: yeah yeah that's I, I do that a lot I'll just Still hunt through areas. I, I love hunting from the ground, and I love just creeping up on deer and shooting them on the ground. It's a lot of fun. I don't just shoot big bucks doing it, too. I, I use that to fill my freezer. Like, if I need to get a doe tag filled or something, I'm I'm moving. I, I probably shot 80% of my, my deer on the ground moving in the last six, seven years now
1: moving like that through everything. How quickly are you moving when you do that? Like a step every couple minutes or what's your pace? If, if I feel like I'm far farther back on the track, like
2: where the, where the sign is, it's not that hot, but it's kind of getting better. You know, I'll, I'll move a little quicker, but once I feel like I'm like right in the bedding or like right on top of those deer, I slow way down and the best, the best way to figure that out, you know, is you got to do it and you got to gonna screw up a lot. You know, I, I, to, to do what I'm doing now, like the amount of deer that I have jumped over the, over the last couple of years is a pretty ridiculous amount of numbers, you know, and like, I'll, I'll be busting deer every day, you know, but eventually you get to that point where you just kind of you know, like, okay, I'm probably going to kick a deer up in the next five minutes. I got to slow down a lot. And then that's, that's when I, I start creeping. And when I, when I'm moving slow, I'm moving a step every 10 minutes. Sometimes like it, you're, you're moving super slow. Cause if you're moving like the, you, you want to move slower than the deer. So you can catch the deer
1: moving before it catches you moving. Is it, is it usually the case that when you see a deer doing the still hunting that you're, you're seeing it while it's still in its bed, not aware of your presence, or maybe you see a head with ears looking your direction, or you just see a deer on its feet, that's milling around in its bedding area. What's the most common scenario that you run on when you first lay eyes on a deer? The most successful ones are when they're moving. <laughs> when, when they're, when they're bedded down,
2: they're really tough to sneak up on when you don't know they're there. You know, so like, like I'll I'll, I'll try to put myself into positions. Like I'll still hunt when I expect the deer to be up on their feet, a lot of times. So like I'll I'll still hunt in the early mornings, a lot, and I'll still hunt in the afternoons closer to sundown when I know the deer are going to be up and moving out of areas. You know, because then if you cap you capitalize on you like, oh okay yeah I, I just saw a doe come out of this bedding area, well maybe behind her is a buck. You know, maybe I'll slow down. Now I can stop. I'll stop right here and almost sit and hunt this spot for 15, 20 minutes and see if anything else pops out, you know. So you, you want to almost kind of focus in when you feel like the deer are going to be moving. And that's why I love doing it this time of year because the deer are moving all day long in a lot of situations, you know, especially in these bigger wood si- scenarios they gotta to move to find dough. So they had no other choice but to move in daylight. But they're just they're just doing it like you'll you'll go you'll see the uh younger bucks will be out there parading around where it's broad open woods, you know, and the big mature bucks are still staying in that security cover. It's like they had their security bedding and then they had their security travel between their bedding. And it's where they can slip through undetected is where I'm putting myself when I'm hunting. And I just I work those areas where I know big bucks are going to be true, cruising through. You know, you see that historic sign with big rubs and stuff. Yep. You know, it doesn't have to always be a fresh rub, but you always you can see where the bigger bucks move through an area of woods. And that's I
1: just put myself in that point at all times. And I just focus on that. So, so this brings up a good question. If you're, if you're hunting some of these areas and you can find these bigger buck security cover, you know, travel corridors for lack of a better word. And you know that there's a good chance that these bucks could be cruising through at any time of the day, you know, starting to, you know, search out these does in the front end of the bell curve of the rut is, I'm assuming you're going to naturally find like pinch points within those types of corridors as you're walking along and as you're scouting and as you're, you know, still hunting in some of these areas, what prevents you from just saying, this is a great pinch point. I'm just going to sit up here and I'll just sit here all day. Is it just your mentality? Do you think that would still be an effective um, approach? Oh, uh, definitely. Like you can do that. Like if you find a pinch point or something, like I might be still
2: hunting through an area and I find something that looks really good. I might sit down for an hour or so you know I'll I'll just kind of let it play out but if it doesn't play out for too long my patience starts hitting me and I go okay I got to go to the next one cuz this one's not working you yeah know, <laughs> I could have could have waited another 10 minutes and it might have worked but but if I I just like to it drives me nuts when I don't know where the deer are yep in a situation and I just I have to know so I, I got to okay he's not here I got to keep going maybe he's around the next corner and you know but I, i'll pause for a long time you know i'll, I'll just take and okay this is good pull up against the blowdown or something put yourself in a good concealed position you know because when you're when you're hunting off the ground too you really got to think about where you're putting yourself because like you have to shoot that deer you know so you got to be able to get that bow back and stuff so you got to put yourself in a scenario where you can do it it's like okay if that that deer is gonna might come out this pinch point here. I can't just sit here against a tree. I gotta, I gotta hide up in a blowdown or something, and I gotta have something so I can conceal myself while I'm drawing my bow.
1: So if you're if you're covering ground slowly, and you're thinking, okay, I'm in a good area. Like you know, any minute, you know, a deer could pop out, could just start cruising through this area, or I might just walk up on one. Are you? I'm imagining you're also piecing together in your mind like your next travel steps like okay i might i might take you know a step every couple minutes to get to this blowdown and then i'll sit there for maybe five minutes and then you're looking for the next blowdown or the next you know pine tree or something that you're going to be able to get some cover in and you start work your way toward that
2: exactly yeah planning planning your route ahead of time i'll I'll be looking 100 yards ahead planning my route for that whole distance okay yeah if i walk over here that's crunchy leaves but if i walk Ten feet over here, there's some moss on the ground. I can step on that moss. Oh, there's bare rocks. Those rocks might roll and and pop under my feet. I can't step on those. But those rocks are bigger rocks that are solidly planted in the ground. I can step on them, you know. And you're, you're the whole time you're doing that, you're you're planning on how you can get through that without making a, a peep, you know. And if you do make a noise, you've got to stop because the first thing a deer does when they hear a noise. Cause you, you always got to think that deer is probably going to be under a hundred yards from you, you know? So if you made a little sudden noise, you got to stop. And if it's a drastic noise, a big stick break or something, you got to wait it out and give it at 15, 20 minutes. So that deer thinks, okay, maybe it was just a tree limb breaking off or something falling down. You know, you gotta, you gotta make yourself sound really natural.
1: Sure. No, that makes sense. And on the footwear side of things, are you a, A rubber boot guy are you leather hiking boot type of guy soft sole stiff sole what do you feel like gives you the best you know maneuverability and quietness maneuvering through the woods
2: i like a rubber boot my my favorite are the uh lacrosse i use like the burley or the uh the i think they're like alpha burley pro they're like 90 dollar boots yep because I, I wear my boots out. I walk a lot. I mean, I'll go through a pair of boots every year just wearing a tread right off of them. So I don't buy a super expensive boots. just a lightweight green boot.
1: Okay, and then next question, or I guess next two questions, kind of spinning off the footwear thing in regards to scent. Number one, are you using the, the wind... Do you like to have the wind in any certain direction, like crosswind that you're working through or headwind or, or something like that? And then the, the follow-up question I'm i want to ask after that is uh, in regards to uh, boot scent on the ground and your, your thoughts on that as you're, you know, covering a lot of miles. Yeah, I, I just put the wind in my
2: nose and go. You know, if I feel like, oh, I want to work this swamp edge and check this sign coming out of this swamp edge, I've, I'll check the wind. Before I get there, okay, and I'll I'll start on the downwind side of the swamp and work work with the wind to my face, and I'll go the whole way up there because ninety percent of the time when I see bucks anyway they're either traveling with the wind to their nose or the wind to their back, so and I the ones that are behind me I can't do nothing about but the ones in front of me I can catch off guard. Sure. So, and I like. I'm constantly, I'm always constantly checking for changes in the wind and I'm looking, I'm even planning, when I plan my route through an area, I'll actually plan it ahead of time for wind swirls and stuff. Like I'll, I'll read the terrain and be like, okay, this section of the, it's going to probably swirl, you know, like at this big opening or something, I'll avoid walking through a big opening in the canopy where my wind's going to swirl, you know, and
1: yeah, I'm, I'm actually avoiding the wind. And then if you, if you're working through an area, like you're not just, you're not just blindly going through hardwoods, right? You're you're picking things like you mentioned, like the swamp edge, and these little areas and corridors and a security cover where you expect there to be a lot of deer. So are you worried at all that your approach is, you know, in any way detrimental with the amount of boot scent that you're laying on the ground? Or do you feel like you're just only hitting any given place once? And it's unlikely that because you're not being patternable yourself, the deer aren't really going to pay it much mind.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you'll put pressure on the deer in these situations, you know, but if you well, as you're moving through them, you're learning so much that even if that deer does kind of get when when to be in those situations, you're you're so far ahead of them on understanding how they move through it that you can get yourself in a position where they won't detect you later on. And I mean, I I I really feel like they're going to they, they you might you could bump a deer and push them but a lot of times especially these mature bucks are very confident in their location and i mean if you bust one out a lot of times they feel confident they'll come back and within a couple of days you know if not the next day you know and so then I, sometimes i'll do that too if i bump a big buck out of the bed i'll come back in the next day immediately and get over that bed and i'll set up mobile with a like a I'll set up with a tree stand or something right over the bed. Right over the bed. And sometimes they come in, sometimes they don't.
1: When you say right over, are you like usually slightly downwind of where the bed is? You can shoot to the the bed, but in case he you J hooks, you're you're hopefully still going to catch him there.
2: Um, if I can, sometimes in some situations you just can't, and then I'll just sit directly over the bed and hope he doesn't come in and J hook. Too bad that I can't get a shot off. I try to, when I set up the stand, I always try to put myself, like, some guys want to get real high or something. I set my stand. If I got to set it four feet off the ground to get the most shooting options, that's where I go. I'm always setting myself up to shoot. Because time a deer comes in range of you, you're setting, you're setting a timer. And eventually that deer is going to get you. You know, so, you just got to be able to get him before he gets you completely. So, you might stop and start getting your win, but if you got that
1: arrow flying in the air at that point, it sucks for him. <laughs> yep. So, if you bump a deer, are you going back? Like, let's say in your mind, he might not come back until three days later, but you're going to give it every chance you got. You might be in there the next morning, and then you go back in the morning after that. Like, are you just going to keep going back to that? that virgin, you know, sit on that bed until he shows up? Or is there a certain amount of time that you're like, well, after, after three days I'll just give I, up and keep scouting?
2: I, I usually, I'll do like the bump and bump the first time. I'll bump him out and get right on the bed in the morning. But like, if he doesn't come back that morning by like nine ten o'clock, I'm down on the ground and I'm following him where he went.
1: After you bumped him the first time?
2: Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take a good judgment of where, I think he might go next, and I'll just go check that, and I'll I'll still hunt that. And if I pick up a sign over there, then I'm back in the game. I don't even have to worry about returning to the bed because I'm right on him again.
1: Gotcha. And it it seems like that's kind of well, I, I guess in this the case of this buck you just shot in, in Pennsylvania. I don't know that you had ever bumped him initially, did you? Or did you just find a sign and, and kind of hunt him down after reading a sign? Yep, I bumped him. I never hunted this piece. I don't have a camera on it, nothing. I. Well,
2: I'll, I'll start off. When I shot this buck, well, I started hunting Pennsylvania opening day, and I picked a spot that was really remote, that had really hard access. There was only one one parking place, and it was surrounded by – private land and it was like probably like 1800 acres of public and I started there and I went in there the first week and I just wasn't seeing the sign I wanted to see I was seeing bucks I I passed up three three and a half year old bucks that I I was like man I probably should have shot them but I didn't luckily but it just wasn't the sign I wanted to see I wanted to see a bigger buck and, you know, I, find I, I, worked, I worked through that whole area. I pretty much burned it, you know, because I, I checked every nook and cranny in the whole place, still hunting it and setting up in the evenings over, dropping acorns on the outside of the swamps and stuff. And I, I mean, I burned it completely, and it just it didn't have the big buck sign I was looking for. So I transitioned over to another area that had awesome giant buck sign, but it had too much pressure. And the pressure was so bad that the bucks were not going to be moving in daylight. And I, like uh, they're, they're starting to make scrapes and stuff. And I was like, if they're, I want to find, find bucks that are moving around and making signs when I can hunt them. So I abandoned that spot. And then I went into this spot thinking, well, I'll just find the biggest chunk of woods I can. So I can just walk past everybody else and get way in there. And that's pretty much what I did. And, I picked a spot, I went down in there where I thought the buck was going to be, and I got lucky enough that I saw him the first day when I was still hunting through there, and I bumped him. So, I saw him the first day when I bumped him, I got immediately back in there the next day, right over the bed, waiting for him to come back. He never came back, I never heard him trying to go in a different section of the swamp through the water or anything. So I was pretty confident he didn't come back in that area. So the next step I had is when I worked in the day before, I saw some big buck sign working my way in. It wasn't so hot, but I figured, well, it looked like he was in there September bedding in this section of the swamp. So I'm just going to still hunt through this and see if his sign is in that section. And he didn't decide to go back to that bedding area that he was using early season. So the the following day, I went into the swamp on the far end, got on the downwind side, and I hit some old sign from him going in there. And when I went down to the bottom of this drainage where I figured a big bank would be, and I check if there's hot sign right there, I picked up really fresh sign right away, and then immediately started backtracking it. Figuring, okay, he's probably gonna bed around here somewhere. Actually, I had my tree stand on my back that day because I was in, I was figuring I would actually set up for him that night. Yep. But in the meanwhile, while I was doing that, I could he making a rub and slinked in and got myself a shot at 30 yards. And when he came in, and he was done making the rub, he turned around, walked straight at me, and I I. Center shot him right up the right up the front and put him down at 20 yards and he took off almost ran me over in the process and went like 130 yards out and fell over.
1: And so this is pretty. Is the ground here like? somewhat wide open or is there a lot of like undergrowth and grass and stuff that kind of blocks the view between you and him or is it kind of brushy or is it just like wide open hardwoods when when you guys uh when you make contact with them it was in a
2: swamp like on on, working the edge you know because i i just figured the young bucks are going to be cruising cruising in the open terrain and i was seeing younger deer doing that but i i wanted to get on something bigger so i figured he's going to be in that security cover and he's never going to leave it until pitch black but he's probably still going to want to work around and check those so i work i put myself right on the right on the buck trail on the interior of the swamp where it's where like the thick and like you kind of get that transition line of like more open swamp where he's traveling and i just pretty much walked the old historic rub rub
1: lines and check the new sign And this swamp is like, uh, you know, you got hilly terrain and then you got maybe like a, the swamp is like in a depression. So you're like, you know, the woods around it kind of drop down into the swamp and you're, you're maybe in like a a little lower elevation type of spot. And the drainage is like a drainage again into that swamp where it's a little bit more cut out.
2: Yeah. And it's,
1: it's all moss, mossy ground and wet, you know, soft bottom,
2: you know, so, and right now we're in a, like almost like a drought. It's so dry. So all, all the hardwoods are super crunchy leaves and stuff, so there's no way you can walk on the on the leaves on the edge. And you get all, all those little, like, look like blueberry bush or something, little bush blueberries, and they're real, real loud trying to walk through them. So I like to just get down where that buck is walking because he's walking where it's nice and quiet too, probably on purpose so nobody hears him,
1: you know. And he's... He's down in there, so I'm just putting myself right in his face the whole time. Gotcha. So you're walking, you're walking on the moss as opposed to the dry ground right next to it, where it's got the crunchy leaves. And yep. Even if he shows up on either side of that line, like you're still, you're still right there. Is yep. Is um. Uh, now let's say it's not a drought year. Let's say the swamp's got a lot of water in it. Would you still be doing the same thing?
2: Um, probably not. I probably would stick right on the buck trail
1: because gotcha.
2: I'm, I'm hoping that I see him coming right down the trail before he sees me. Okay. You know, and I figure anything behind me is clear because I just walk through it.
1: And for what it sounds like, this is a pretty, I mean, this hunt is like a pretty, you know, representative of example of the type of that, the style of hunting that you like and the type of success you've had doing it. Right. Yep. Yep.
2: And you know,
1: I, I know what works for me and I know how
2: I, I'm successful at doing it. And when I look for areas, I purposely look for areas that I can do that. And, you know, I don't want to work an area where I can't do that. So I, I'll tend to stick in areas that are comfortable for, hunting for that situation and
1: and so kind of your list would it be like number one hard to access to try and limit hunter sign and hopefully get a better age structure number two a mixture of of wet and dry ground Uh, anything else you kind of look for
2: no that's pretty much it just easy easy going terrain you know stuff that i can work through but it's got to be secure as secure can be for a big buck like I, I always look at escape when i look at look at a big buck spot it's like if that buck can't get away the odds of one being there isn't going to be very good so it's, it's got to have a lot of advantages to the deer itself
1: before i even take and look and walk through it do you guys have logging up there quite a bit too, or you might have like, you know, clear cuts that are five years old, two years old, 15 years old?
2: Um, the the Pennsylvania does a lot
1: up, up where I'm hunting and
2: it's great. It holds a lot of deer, but at the same time, it holds a lot of hunters, Hmm. you know? So because everybody wants, everybody knows that you're in the clear cuts. So that's where you're getting your pressure. So the big bucks, a lot of times we'll vacate those sections within the first week or so and start hiding some of the more natural situations where nobody's hunting them.
1: Places like those swamps, for example.
2: Exactly. And it just sucks to get to them. You know, I pick ones that are way off the road, hard to access. You know, because Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is a place where there's a lot of food deer hunters. You know, there's no baiting or anything like that. So, a majority of the guys that hunt Pennsylvania are very good hunters. And like, if there's a higher percentage of people hunting that area. Every spot you check is going to have a trail camera in it or a tree stand hanging or something. So you really gotta burn some boot leather to get get out of the way of all the other people because those big bucks they don't want to be bothered. You know, so you got to find where they're not getting disturbed and they can just be natural and do their natural pattern, you know, because like you'll, you'll find sections like those clear cuts will hold big bucks and they'll hold them all year long. But the amount of pressure puts those deer so nocturnal in those spots where they're not moving a lot in daylight that you can't capitalize on anything. So I, I try to seek out spots where they're going to flow. You know, it might be lower deer density area, but the deer are moving more.
1: Right. And so with your, with your kind of focus on, you know, scouting a lot of these places as you go and still hunting it, you're kind of combining that process of figuring out the place that are good, that have the lower hunter pressure. You're, you're figuring that all out. And at the same time, you have an opportunity, opportunity to kill the deer the first time in there. Once you find that place. Yep
2: yep and you know I'll just go go with the flow if, if it feels like i gotta stop and sit for this year, I'll stop and sit for' them. but you know if if I'm not seeing it what I want, I just keep moving until I do you know you gotta you gotta you gotta you figure callings a game of odds, so you gotta stack the odds in your favor and if you're sitting in a low percentage situation where it's gonna be extremely difficult the odds of you getting something are pretty low, you know. So you've got you to gotta find those situations where you're going, oh, okay, yeah, I think I could definitely kill one here. This is a bomb-proof setup, you know,
1: before I'll set up on it. How often are you going back through places you've already looked? Do you have like a, like, okay, I went there last week, it's time to go back there and check what the sign looks like now, or is it like once you walk through an area, like that's it for the year, depends on what you see, how, Like, what's your circuit look like?
2: if if it looks like it's going to be a good spot where a buck's going to start using it, I'll go right back in there and keep checking it. You know, every time I walk in, I might walk differently through the woods or something. And then, you know, I'll, I'm just going to poke down, check the swamp edge. All right. Nope. Not, not fresh. All right. Keep going, you know, and I'll just, I'll keep poking back and checking them. And eventually, eventually you'll find them doing
1: that. So let's, let's say you find, you get down to like a swamp edge and it's just torn up. Like you find a ton of sign and, and you go and you still hunt through it. And for whatever reason, you don't see any deer, whether they just, you know, whatever reason that was that day. Are you going right back there the next day and just kind of, kind of keep hitting that until it ceases to look fresh and, and good? Or are you going to just once through and then you're going to check another spot and be a couple of days before you come back to that? Yep. I'll, I'll just keep hitting it until I burn it. And the only thing you're doing when you're burning a spot,
2: you're just concentrating the deer somewhere else and you're, you're stacking it essentially, you know, so gotcha. you, you can stack big woods. Cause if a lot of these situations in these bigger woods, it's like, you feel like you're doing so much damage walking through these locations, but there's no pressure. So you almost have to create pressure to increase your opportunities in them. So when you're walking through them, it doesn't really hurt it. It's like if, if they stop going there, all right, now they're, I'm, now I'm, now I got, I had seven swamps I was working. Now I have six. Yep. You know, and then you just keep stacking it down.
1: How often do you find that, you know, if it's an area that you've hunted before that, um, you know, cause I hear a lot of times when people talk about big woods, number one, you know, the deer might have say like a bigger home range, but like, in terms of how an older, mature buck will use it and how he'll move in it and how he'll bed in it, do you think that he's, you know, commonly, even if he's got a different size, you know, core or home area, is he still using the same, you know, handful of beds, you know, every year? Or is he just, oh, is he more nomadic absolutely. in his patterns?
2: That big bucks will move a lot in, in, the bigger woods. There's two types of deer. There's, you know, you get the deer that are real homebodies and they stick in one spot and that's where they go. And then you get that other buck that will go all over the place and bed different places, but big bucks bed where big bucks bed, you know? So if you understand how a big buck is being in an area, that's going to be a spot they're They're going to keep using. And once you find a spot that has a big buck, if you keep going back and
1: checking it, I mean, all of a sudden you'll have one turn up in there. Gotcha. So whenever you're finding a place like that, still hunting, even if there's not a big buck in there, you're making a mental note or you're marking that, and you're like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna come back to yep. this one.
2: Yep. I, I use Onyx now, and I'm I, I literally I mark everything, and I I, I color coordinate it, different different colors for like different age class deer and stuff. I'm like, oh the, all the big bucks I know is market black, you know, and. Okay, this is probably a three and a half year old. I mark it a different color, use purple or something, you know. And then I can kind of like look, and it's nice to have that when you mark everything because you can't remember everything you see, you know. So you can pull that map out and be like, wow, this section of the woods is all black, big buck sign, and this section is purple and it's all young buck, you know. So you, you'll like all of a sudden you'll start to see like this pattern like of where the bigger bucks are using different spots in that woods, and then you can almost take and draw a line between all those icons and figure out how they're traveling through an
1: area. Yep. Do you find there's a mix sometimes where you got like there could be you know deer of all particular age groups running a particular area at the same time?
2: Oh, yeah, there, there's times when that happens, but typically I find the bigger bucks have their more specific places and the younger deer are just kind of they're love drunk and they don't really know what they're doing and they'll just kind of la- randomly lay down sign, you know. But mature bucks are very deliberate on what they do. They don't just walk through the woods and rub trees. Like If they, they make a rub, it's probably because there's a doe coming out right there They make a scrape there's an intersection where multiple deer travel corridors pass over each other you know they're not just laying that sign out for no reason they're always doing it on purpose
1: and we talked about a spot earlier where you know i had found a bed on the the edge of one of these swamps it's kind of a little depression in a big woods area and when we were talking through it it's like yeah there's you know with the west northwest wind you know commonly coming through that area You know, you think about like where this other like, you know, travel corridor and scrape line was, it's like right downwind. So he can just sit there in the bed on the edge of that swamp and he can just sit there and smell any deer going up and using that, uh, using that travel corridor to hit that scrape line. It just made a lot of sense. Yep.
2: And a lot of times they'll put themselves in a position where they can see their scrapes. And that's even more difficult because you're you're like, oh, this is a good scrape. Well, did I just bust them? Was he sitting there watching me? Because I see that a lot. Especially if you're hunting not swamps, but you're hunting hills or something, you'll find like a scrape down low and then you'll walk up the ridge and there'll be a bed right above it looking at it. So it's something you got to kind of make a mental note on when you when you find these big scrapes. Is
1: A lot of times they're right next to them. Hmm. Do you find one type? of habitat to be easier than the other, like hills versus, you know, flatter swampy stuff? Um, not really. I I
2: prefer the swamps. I like, I like, I like hunting swamps. I've always shot a lot of deer in swamps, but I mean, if there's a giant buck in the hills, I'm going to be hunting the hills.
1: Yeah. You know, so I'll go, go wherever the best is so for for some of these you know more mature bucks that have a more i guess deliberate or specific um pattern in in terms of what they're doing in some of these bigger woods areas do you find that they will make you know big circuits and they'll just go through you know given areas checking for does periodically like they might do the same loop you know like once a week or something or do you find that they're more linear in their patterns
2: I think they they might work like a small area in daylight, like they will work one swamp in the daylight and then at nighttime they'll just jet out and get, get going and find the next best thing and then they'll just hop onto that and work that and it's, the, the deer are dictating to the bucks, like the does are dictating to the bucks where they're going to want to be, you know know if if there's a majority of does over there and that buck feels like he's getting those does are getting hot he's going to be focusing on that area like he knows the game and he knows what he can tell when they're getting ready you know you get the, the younger bucks will not really understand that and they'll be harassing everything that's why like this time of year you don't see a lot of does in the woods this time of year and you're like where the heck are all the does? I haven't seen a doe all day. I've seen a couple of younger bucks cruising through, and I've seen that, but I haven't seen any does. And the the younger bucks have harassed the does so hard that they're just buried in cover, you know. And I think that's why the big bucks are working those swamp edges too a lot of times because that's the best security cover in those swamps. And those deer, those does, literally run in so deep and so thick that a big buck can't even get through it easily you know they or a buck with a rack or anything they can't follow them so they're, they're like hiding in those spots and then the buck is just basically checking where they're sl- slinking out and sneaking
1: out during during uh the evening yeah that makes a lot of sense and i'm, I'm thinking even like the last few you know weeks of, of me looking at some of this stuff too and it's like yeah to your point i i know of like a handful of you know like small to, to immediate you know medium sized bucks work in an area and very few does. And, you know, until you said that, I didn't really think of it. It's like, Oh, there's another buck on camera or whatever. But it's like, yeah, the, the amount of does that I'm seeing like very recently versus like several weeks ago, definitely has, has dropped.
2: Yeah. And the, they're, they're still there. You know, you're not seeing them as much cause they're just hiding. Cause they don't want to get harassed. Like they're not ready. They They want to, they want to lay down in the daytime and they want to bed and they want to go out at night and feed, you know, and they got to hide from those bucks so they can do it. Yeah. And, and then you kind of get the bucks kind of, you get the does clustered in the center of the swamp and then the big bucks are all, or all the bucks are kind of staged up around the perimeter waiting for them.
1: And so you're, you're basically just, you're almost treating this pre-rut time as like the like when people think about hunting the rut, right? They think about hunting pinch points and waiting for bucks traveling and moving and stuff, but for you hunting a big buck, it sounds like this is the time to use that kind of a, a strategy because this is the time when the big bucks are going to be up on their feet, moving more and searching for those yeah. does in the front end of the cycle. Exactly.
2: And they're, they're predictable this time of year, you know. They're laying sign down. You know, once rut hits, they don't they don't make all this sign anymore, so you can't can't follow them around as easy. You know, they're just locked down on from one doe to the next you know so when when they're not breeding and they're seeking out does is when you ought to focus
1: on them and it could be all day any any time of the day this time of year like late october yep he'll i mean if you look at if, if you just look at like the weight of deers when you shoot them
2: like september like, early October, the first week of October, these deer, are you shoot one, and they're, like, peak body weight. But already by now, like, they look like they already dropped a, a ton of weight, you know? So you know they're moving. You know, it's just you've got to be in the place where they're moving.
1: So if you were going to take a week to go hunt some of the, you know, the places that you're hunting, like, if you're a guy, let's, for whatever reason, let's say a guy wanted to go to, to you know, Big Woods, Pennsylvania for, you uh, a seven-day vacation, if he was after a top-end buck, you would advise him to hunt like this time as opposed to like, you know, November 7th through the 15th or whatever? Absolutely. Because they're just so random. Most of the big bucks shot during rut are not the big bucks.
2: You know, the people think they shot a nice buck, but it was realistically a big two-and-a-half-year-old, big three-and-a-half-year-old buck. But if you want to shoot the old bucks, you got to shoot them when they're the most vulnerable and i feel like this is when they're most vulnerable because they have to move to find the does and check the does and stuff they have to run that routine you know because they're they're figuring it out the same time you're figuring it out you're scouting for big bucks they're scouting for does the whole time you know so you got to catch them when they're vulnerable
1: that makes a lot of sense and you probably see it then on the back end of the rut too yep yep exactly And like, like
2: certain areas, like in Jersey, when I hunt Jersey, you know, I, I'll have bucks chasing does in February. So you can follow this pattern pretty long. You know, it is every, every time if a doe doesn't get bred, 28 days later, she's getting bred, you know? So if you all of a sudden like hunting late season pattern and all of a sudden you realize, oh man, there's bucks making scrapes along this swamp edge or something,
1: bam, we can get right back on it again. So are you you know during say peak rut, let's say you haven't filled your tag are you just walking through the woods and just covering a lot of, as much ground as you can in the hopes that you stumble on you know a buck that's got a doe on lockdown and hopefully can get a shot or is that more your time frame where you just you know maybe you go on out an out of state trip somewhere else?
2: During the rut when I, when they're like peak lockdown phase, breeding phase, I walk around the woods, And I look for that point where you find every buck in the woods walking circles, you know, you might find a patch of patch of cover somewhere and you sit there and you'll, you'll 10, little bucks walk past it. Just completely love drunk walking circles around this place. And you, you gotta know in that cover somewhere, there's probably a big buck on top of a doe right there. And he's just sitting there with her. You know, and every time those younger bucks come in to come check her out, he pushes them back out. You know, so you you look
1: for that parade, get that buck parade going. And so what would you do then if you knew that, okay, in this cover up up here that these deer are, you know, going in and out of, there's probably a big buck in there. How do you, how would you go about trying to kill him?
2: I'll get on the downwind side of it and get tight and either I'm going to try to set up for it for maybe the doe to come popping out or... I'll I'll sit there and I'll listen because a lot of times like you get a big buck in lockdown he'll the doe he'll chase the doe the run doe will run twenty yards stop hide again lay down and he'll just kind of like keep following her so like you can almost once if you get really hot you can hear him doing it in the brush you can hear that buck breaking branches with his antlers and stuff and you can basically just try to keep cutting them off. You know, I, I've done that a couple times in cattail swamps, too. You hear you hear a big buck out there crashing a doe around in a cattail swamp, and it's so much ruckus going around. And he's he's so used to having all those other bucks come, coming and working into him that you can just get out of your tree and just run up there and try to get as close as you possibly can from downwind, and hopefully you get an opportunity at him.
1: I mean, is there a scenario where you try and act like you were one of those younger bucks, you know, pull out a grunt call or, you know, start – thrashing a you know a branch that you come next to or are you going to try and just you yeah. know use natural footsteps
2: i i uh i don't use grunt calls i just don't feel like carrying one but i i will definitely i'll i'll, I'll swing a tree i'll i'll bust the ground up a little bit around an area if there's a buck locked down on a dell. because if i'm making noise you know like, obviously here's been coming so i want to sound natural i don't want to sound like a human sneaking up on him. i want to sound like a deer you know, so I'll, I'll turn some leaves and pretend I'm pawing the ground or, you know, you got to just get it really aggressive because he's, he's so love drunk at that point that he really is off his guard. So, like, you can completely trick him. And usually the only time you bust it up is if you bust the doe. If she catches you and she takes off, then it's over, you know. But if you could relocate her, you can get right back on the situation
1: again. Right. Are you hunting the firearm seasons then too?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I prefer to bow. I hunt as much as I can with the bow, but I will go out with the gun and you know, I like I like late season gun, all track in the snow or something. I like I like following the deer.
1: Is so. you tracking in the snow? I mean, is that pretty much the exact same thing as you're tracking in the early season when you're um trying to you know work a deer back and still hunt or are you in that scenario covering ground more quickly than you would be otherwise if you're bow hunting
2: nope it's the same because a lot of times you're putting them up at the same distance so your your opportunity people think you're crazy shooting deer off the ground like that with a bow oh but honestly most of the deer you shoot tracking in the snow you're shooting 30 40 50 yards you know, so you're right in that range anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. You
2: just it's got to, it's, like a, it's like a mental kick. You just got to get it out of your head. You got to be confident that you can get a shot off of your bow. You yeah. know, which lots of practice. Make sure you can shoot really good because you're going to be shooting all sorts of different situations, you know, and that's why I shoot a nice heavy arrow too because, like, you get a frontal shot
1: like I just did. You take it, right? Are you when you when you're tracking in these type of scenarios? Obviously, like if you get a fresh snowfall and you got a deer walking in that fresh snow, it's pretty obvious. You know, anybody can follow that track back. But in some of the more challenging scenarios to track, in like let's say it's been dry for two weeks, what do you, what are the things you're keying in on, and, and how do you get better at learning how to track deer? in certain scenarios like that?
2: Um, the best thing you do, like, you, some days you can't go really quick. you got to just be super slow and so methodical. You'll feel like you'll never catch up to anything. And a lot of times you don't, you know, but you find that day where all of a sudden now you got 25-mile-an-hour wind gusts or something, you better get out in the woods, you know, because you got to find those advantages. Those are, those are the killing days. You know the the other days you're kind of just still hunting through and learning it and figuring it out like where the deer are going to be, but those those days where you get those weather changes where it gives you an advantage is the days that you have to take. You know, and you got it. Those are those are the times when you're going to do it. Yep. So it's like you're you're pretty much just, you're in season scouting with a bow in your hand, and then when the when the situation calls
1: for the calls for it so you could shoot something, then you're really hunting. So is, you're, I mean, you're pretty much always in the game for yep. you. Yep. Are you yep. most, yep. most of the time walking with like literally just your bow and like maybe a light pack and whatever you, you know, essentials are for, for scouting. Or do you typically always have like a climbing method and, and some type of platform with you um, in case you do want to set up? Yeah,
2: I, I usually I'll carry like a tree saddle and a platform and some sticks on my back or something. I try to be super light and efficient with it. But anymore, I, I feel like every time I go out, I'm like, man, why am I carrying this thing around on my back? You know, <laughs> it's so many so many opportunities. You go, well, I, I could just probably just sit here on the ground, you know, because people just get this. People just get this in their head. You you're like, oh, I got to get up in a tree. And, like, I think it was a good eye-opener for me when I shot this buck now. It's like, man, I might just not even take the tree stand anymore. You know, it's working out pretty decent. I keep putting myself in situations, and you can just as easily hide on the ground and get a shot. If not, you get better shots sometimes because you find you get up in a tree and you can't see anything. Yeah. And you're sitting down in these these swamps with these high canopy pines and then you can see right through it like a tunnel it's like i'll just sit on the ground i can shoot 50 yards
1: yeah yeah i mean we were out last night and i mean i kind of already gave you a framework of what the terrain looks like there and it's like we got into that area the little corridor in the swamp edge and it's like you know big scrape big scrape primary scrape big scrape and it's like you're looking around for trees and it's all small you know stuff you can't really climb up anyway and it's like you find the the couple big trees where you would be able to climb and it's like well look at all the the branches in the way, like there's no shooting up there. I guess we'll sit in the ground. Yep.
2: Yeah. And the, it's funny. Cause like the last four bucks I shot that are decent, all my sticks were on a pile on the ground. And I was literally like eight feet off the ground with the one stick, you know? And I'm like, why did I even climb this tree? You know, sometimes <laughs> like if I, if I'm hunting, if I'm hunting a marsh or something, it makes more sense to me because you can't shoot through cattails, you know, so right, you got to get right. above them to shoot, you know, you get some grass or something. So like September, like I, I, I tend to be more elevated early season than I am late season. Cause everything's getting laid down and falling down later into the year, you know, but early season, you kind of have to get up a little bit to get an angle.
1: Yeah. So
2: as the foliage falls, I fall.
1: Yeah, I'd say it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like a bell curve for me in the early season. A lot of times I'll start lower just because if you get too high, you climb into the canopy and you can't shoot anything. And then once the leaves start coming off, I'm just looking for cover a lot of times. And it might mean I'm, you know, getting 18 feet up into the crotch of an oak tree where it splits, but then eventually you get to a yeah. certain point where it's like, what am I doing? Like I'm carrying 30 pounds of clothes and it's like all the covers on the ground anyway, all the deer have moved to locations where there's more cover on the ground and just hunt on the ground. Yeah.
2: And all that cover on the ground is your concealment too.
1: Yep, <laughs> you know you can hide in that too. You
2: know, and like especially if like if you're hunting like mountains or big woods, there's so many opportunities where you can kind of poke up and hide on a ledge or something where you can get a nice angled shot or something. There's so many so many places where you can put yourself in a situation where you have that little bit of a high ground advantage. And, and those those bucks in the The grass and stuff, it's like, they'll get in that grass and they'll hide right in it. Like, people people are like, oh, there's no overhead cover or something. But if you think about it, if you got six foot tall cattails and grass, I mean, if they push themselves up against it, the sun's not hitting them. They're actually in the shade on the ground. Right. So they, They can be almost anywhere in some of that stuff, especially if it's not wet. If you get a dry year or something, it's like. Jesus thing could be hiding in the whole fricking cattail swamp.
1: Right. Well, the, the other thing too is, you know, you mentioned them being shaded, but late season that provides a lot of, you know, cover from the wind and the sun's able to, you know, shine down on them and keep them warm. So it's like, there's a mm-hmm. thermal advantage to some of that grassy stuff in the late season too.
2: Yep. And those deer, they, they reposition, you know, they don't just sit in one spot, you know, they're like, Oh, I'm getting a little chilly. I'll sit in the sun. I'm uh, getting, getting hot. And it goes, shade myself a little bit you know and they just kind of rotate around in there and like oh, I'm, I'm hungry i'm gonna get up and walk over here and nibble you know that's why you, you find these beds in these swamps sometimes and it's like like the beds are great you want to know where they are but sometimes sometimes you get too driven in on focusing on specific beds and stuff and it's like you can't you can't do that you got to find spots where there's a lot of beds you know the more beds you got the better because that means that deer spends more time right in that spot, and when you want to set up on them for like a standard beast hunt bed hunt, you know, I mean, you just you can get right there and you get between his point of bedding and point of travel, and
1: you got him. You know, on that note too, where they get up and move, you know, periodically for whatever reason, do you find that like when the wind shifts, they might also want to shift their bedding, and that could be a good opportunity for um, for finding movement and things like that. And periods where they'd otherwise just be bedded down?
2: Uh sometimes. It's I, I've come to the conclusion like there there's situations where wind bedding is very specific, but a lot of times in these spots, like you just find these big round beds. You know, it's like, okay, the deer is probably facing twenty different directions in the same place. You know? And it's I I almost like I feel like the larger box almost want to focus on visual bedding in a lot of situations unless like you're like out in the early season and call tall cattails and then they're not as much, but they, they like to know what's going on. You know, that's why like, if you find like a series of doe beds, like you're like, okay, the buck isn't bedding here. This is all does, you know, that buck is probably to be bedding on the sides of it or on the back or something. He's going to be, putting himself in a situation where he can monitor all the other deer, you know, because if somebody comes walking into that spot and busts up the deer, that buck is sitting out on the side where he's not vulnerable and he can stand up and go, Oh, what's going on over here? Oh, something spooking all my does. Okay. What's, what's up with that? And then he can figure it out, you know, because the last thing a buck wants to do is just bolt out of a spot. When you, when you bump a deer, like they usually don't go nowhere. If you should bump a big buck, They'll, they'll, they'll run 50 hundred yards and it'll stop, you know, and the mistake people will do is they don't stop too, you know? So if you you stand up a buck out of its bed, freeze. And I mean, you might have to wait half an hour and all of a sudden you hear him walking like, okay, okay. I hear him slipping away now, which direction is he going? And then you can get right back on him and put that pressure right on him again and try to cut him off or set up on where he's going to come out now.
1: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And and then the other thing you learn too, I guess, is you do learn that exact bed location. And going back to what you were talking about earlier, it's like, well, if you don't get on him that day, then go maybe set up right on his bed the next morning, and in hopes that he comes back to it. Yep. And
2: sometimes they come right back. Sometimes they don't. Some it, it it's all about the bucks. Some bucks don't wanna. Some bucks some bucks were so confident in their locations that you can't kick him out, you know, or it might just be the best piece of cover available to him. And he's just, he's like, this is all I got, you know? Yep. He's like everywhere else is going to just get hammered. and I'm going to get killed if I go anywhere else. So he'll just keep going back in that spot, even though you're busting him up.
1: We didn't really talk about food much at all. Do you pay attention much to what the deer are feeding on? Is that a big part of your strategy or is it, is it, Kind of like a sidebar to all the other stuff you're looking for.
2: I pay attention to it a lot in early season. I mean, a lot. And I focus on a lot of like natural forbs and wildflowers and stuff like that. You know, I, I focus on food in the bedding. You know, I need to find a spot where that buck wants to eat and he can live and eat at the same time. You know, because all they want to do in the early season is just pack on calories. They're trying to get fat. You know, they spent all summer long trying to grow antlers. They, they depleted all the calcium in their skeleton in the process of doing that. So they need to feed, and that's all they're focused on. And that's what, like, people are like, oh, they don't move early season. And you're correct. They don't move early season, but they move in a, and they move in their little core area. You know, but they're, they're sitting there right on top of their food eating and it's where you got to capitalize and get in on them, figure out how to do it.
1: Right. Is the, is the stuff that they're feeding on that you find, you know, most often stuff that's, that's only present early season, like say it's, you know, the grasses and the weeds and and whatever else that is going to die off as soon as it starts to get cold? Or do you find that like... They might be in areas yeah. where it's like a you know recent clear cut and it's it's just small saplings and maybe they prefer that over the the more grassy areas.
2: The, the deer deer want to eat forbs if they can get on them. If they can find the forbs, that's what they're going to eat. You know, they want to eat those wildflowers and the greens like they want that because that's the most nutritious foods for them. You know, and there's there's a big list of higher uh, like calorie content and higher calcium, higher sodium content plants that they, they want to hit. You know, and then, like, they'll they'll focus on, they'll, like, once the acorns start dropping, they'll start wanting to switch over to acorns for a little while. But it, it's really the reason they're switching over to acorns so much is because a lot of those other foods are starting to brown up, you know. And until those are completely browned up, they're not going to get completely focused on acorns.
1: yeah I guess that makes sense. Um, when you think about kind of the timing once one's going out, the other one's coming in and it kind of naturally gives them that good transition. yep
2: yeah, it's and that it, people are like, oh the, the deer are moving and they're not they're, they're not I'm not seeing them anymore and they're shutting down. It's not that they're shutting down. they're just kind of filtering into a different area and they almost like kind of like that's why I love areas with a lot of diversity. You know, the more diversity in the habitat you can
1: find the better because it just means that they're not shifting as much. You know. So how about late season? What what do you find that late season they start to you know, the acorns are gone. The, there's no there's nothing green growing, you know, typically. They're they're looking for roots a lot
2: of times. Like they're like tubers. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of like certain wildflowers and stuff. Like, like that make bulbs, you know. And they might not be eating the flower itself. Like I'll, I'll scout for the flowers in the summer. I'll never see a, a flower nipped off. But I'll find those bulbs from those plants dug up like crazy in the wintertime. And I'm like, I'm like, what the heck is going on with this? Because I, I found one plant last year, and it was, it was like I found, I was up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere, and I found a big drainage, and it was just tore up with digging I'm like what are these deer doing in here and I I, I started researching into it and I'm like okay I, I started digging where they're digging I'm starting to find pieces of root and bulbs where they're chomping all this stuff up I'm like what is growing here so then during the summer I went out when the flowers were coming up and I went out and found out what flowers they were in those spots and I'm like oh, okay they want to eat those those flowers and then I did some research on this flower it's some kind of like a a violet, some species of violet. But if you look at the content of that flower during late season, it's high in calcium and it's high in sugars, carbohydrates, and it's high in sodium. And that's what deer want. I mean if you if you ever seen what deer eat salt in the winter time, they hammer salt, like right around January. It's like, well that's their natural salt right there. And that's why they're looking for it. And then I'm like, okay, so I guess apparently that's what I need to be focusing on during the the late season. Because every time I find a drainage like that, that has those plants in it, it's tore up.
1: Huh. Yeah. As you're talking about this, I'm trying to think of places like similar similarities in the the upper Midwest here. And one of the ones that comes to mind is like the the duck potato. Um, Mm -hmm. We got a lot of that in some of the marshy areas. Yep.
2: Yeah, they hit that here too. We have it. We have it here. It's just a species of a arrowhead plant is what it really is.
1: And uh, I guess as I can tell. I mean, most of that stuff. If I'm, I would think by the time they would transition to that, it's like six inches of ice that's got that stuff locked in. Um, yep. Are they? Yeah.
2: So you gotta you gotta find it when it's dry. Like if you have drought years, where that duck potato can be dug you know if you get water come over and it freezes they can't they can't access that but if you have a drought year and you don't get a lot of rain and they just just snowed it doesn't freeze or something they can get to it okay you know you gotta find you you gotta like look for those spots like really great places to find it you get like old beaver swamp or something where the dam breaks and it doesn't hold water anymore you know but it's wet enough that that duck potato and the arrowhead the the lily species they're all surviving still yep Yep. you know those are great places to find them in late season you know because it's it's got the water table the right height that the deer can access it
1: interesting yeah I, i know where a ton of it is that's really wet so it sounds like what i need to figure out is do some more scouting and figure out if there's places you know by the time we get to late season start doing some walking around and I imagine just by looking at the tracks and, and covering some miles and figure out where that is just by nature of following where the deer are.
2: And even just standard fern roots. I don't know if you get a lot of growth, like, like ferns growing, but a lot of the fern species, some of, some of them are toxic and the deer won't eat them, but some of the, the fern species, the deer will eat. And like, you'll be walking through the woods and you just see like a spot that's all tore up with digging. And you're like, well, well what are they digging here? Like there's all birch trees growing. Like there's no, there's no acorns or nothing. Late, like old red oaks or something. They're trying to dig up, and you're like, "What are they digging here?" You know, or, and then you'll go out and walk through those places in the summertime, and the whole place is just a wall of ferns. Yeah, you know? and that those ferns are actually pretty nutritious for them. Apparently, in the wintertime, otherwise they wouldn't be eating them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of ferns in some of the areas around here, too, uh, where it's just yep. like blanketed, right? It's like you, you're you walking through like Jurassic Park because yep. there's so many ferns in the summer.
2: Yep. Yeah, I I forget what the fern is. It's not like the big giant fern that grows like six feet tall in the swamps. It's like the ferns on like the hillsides and like in, around the drainages and stuff. It that, that's the species they like to eat, and I'm pretty sure that pretty much grows everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's like the stuff in the spring when you turn out and you'll pick it as fiddleheads.
2: Yep, yeah. Exactly. It probably is the fiddlehead
1: fern. Yeah, But
2: they're what they're eating is they're eating that fiddlehead, probably, while it's under the dirt at, as a root system, and it's just like a little balled up, and it's almost like a tuber at that point, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a little little morsel potato. You know, and if you ever eaten a fiddlehead, it's Tastes pretty good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've I don't know them what the, 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 good.
2: the nutritional value is on one, but I mean, if you can eat them forage for them for people, I mean, obviously it's got to give something to the deer. You know, they probably get more out of it than we do because they have a more complex digestive system where they can extract all those
1: plants. Yeah. And I mean, I've also seen like late, late winter, like even I guess, talking like March when there's still some snow on the ground and most of the other, you know, food sources are, are pretty sparse. I'll follow tracks in the snow and it's like, you know, the deer will just kind of meander and they might walk up to to this, you know, tree and then they'll walk over to that tree and they'll stop like right facing the tree and you'll see like some scraped up bark. Like I don't know if they're chewing off the bark and trying to get what's underneath. And it's like, man, they must really be be hurting for food if they're going after stuff like that.
2: Actually, what they're probably eating, you know what old man's beard is? Yeah, it's like a uh, like a mossy, like white moss. Like, yep, that is something that they like to eat. And up north, when I when I hunted the Adirondacks a lot, that was like a staple for deer. Like they they loved it. Like they huh. they would look for it. Like you, you'd be tracking a big buck in the snow, and they'd be eating it constantly. And you're like, well. All right, I guess he likes old man's beard. He likes to eat it. You know, but that's that's definitely a food source. You get an area where you get a lot of old man's beard growing. That's that's a food source for northern white tail in late season.
1: You know, because
2: people look at that woods in the late season and like, oh, it's barren. There's no food, but they're they're eating something. Otherwise, they wouldn't be deer.
1: Yeah. You know, it just seems like in a lot of those cases, there it's so spread out, right? Like it's hard to pinpoint a food source because it's everywhere, but it might be scattered. Yeah,
2: that's so why I focus late season. I like to look, I gotta gotta focus on those microclimates, you know. That's why they they go to like the cedars or the pines and stuff a lot when they kind of because they do yard even even in New Jersey where I hunt the deer yard in the winter time. People people might think you're crazy when you tell them that, but like no, these deer come out of the mountains and they migrate to certain areas and they yard up in the winter. You know, and you'll find condensities of them. You think these big mountain bucks are disappearing, but they're re- realistically they're probably find found a great food source like that that uh, flower I found in the drainages. It's like that's
1: consistent every year. I find sheds in it. Do you find that when the deer yard up like that, they're oftentimes in areas that are in like evergreens of some kind? Yeah, they want to get they want to get some cover,
2: you know. They want to get out of the get out of the elements they, because you know the last thing they have they don't have overhead cover anymore late season you know there's none so they kind of seek it out and they want to have that cuz they just feel better with it you know people feel better with a roof over their head you know i guess the deer feels better too he just wants some kind of overhead security cover yeah um, they can just tuck down and and it could, and then they can pop around and go from the sun to the shade. It?
1: Yep. Yeah, we got a lot of tamarack swamps around me, but I suppose late season they probably even would prefer something like a spruce uh, type of a swamp. Yeah. Well, tam- tamaracks lose their uh, their needles in the winter, I think, right? Yep, they do. But they still have a ton yeah, of branches, so, so they're they're going to be more. There's going to be more cover, you know, even low down to the ground than there would be in like a hardwood forest for sure. Uh, and there's usually a lot mm-hmm. of like tall grass and stuff also in those areas, but it's not going to be full of needles.
2: Yeah, see, where where I live over on the East Coast here, we have a lot of rhododendron swamps. And the deer, the, the rhododendron plant in the middle of the winter keeps its leaf. So, it and and they grow... And the deer actually feed on them in the wintertime. They eat the, they eat the little bulbs from the flowers and stuff. But they'll get underneath that and they'll have an overhead cover from the rhododendrons. And it, they just walk around and they're like tunnels. And they, they'll just stay right under the rhododendrons and then nibble their way and bed under it. Hmm. But that's a big, big hideaway for deer around here. And it's it's funny because it's actually – a lot of it grows on the northern faces northern of the mountains. So you, you're like, well, they're using it as overhead cover. It's colder out, but it's actually – it's sheltering them enough that it's actually still warmer underneath, even though they're not in the, the super sunny section of the mountain. And huh. a lot of times, like, you might get them in the morning on one side of the ridge, like bedding in the sun, and then as it heats up in the day and it's not so freaking cold – They'll cross over the crest of the ridge and then drop down into those rhododendrons and hide.
1: Yeah, because then they they're kind of staying as you know thermally efficient as they can, but also just not leaving them totally exposed.
2: Yep. Yeah, and that the rhododendron supplies a break cover, and that's that's why I see so many bucks in them because a lot of a lot of the swamps around me has got a lot of that rhododendron in it too. So it's it's great for having security cover for those deer but I mean you'll you'll find it somewhere I'm sure there's something that grows over where you are too that does the same thing that's not the same plant you know you'll find something
1: that'll do what you need right right well we have we have a lot of like uh, I mean there's occasionally like cedar swamps and there's like occasionally spruce swamps I guess more or so further north you go um, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of times you might just have like like alders or willows or something where, or dogwood, where it's like, even though they yep. they haven't lost, or even though they've lost all of their foliage, they're still really thick um, and you, you, you can't see through them very far and they still provide a lot of cover yep. and maybe even in some instances, you know, some kind of food. And usually it's not just those plants. It's also, you know, waist high grasses and, and you know, what? cattails and marshes and stuff that they're they're able to get a ton of cover in late season.
2: When when you find sheds in the in the in the spring, yep, or in late season, how bleached out are they? Uh,
1: usually, well, I guess not not usually too much, because
2: um, that if they're not bleached out from the sun by that time of year, they they're looking for overhead cover. They got to be having something that's doing it.
1: Yeah, well, I guess now that I think about it, yeah. the um, some of those places where I find those sheds you know, they're like laying in the water by the time I find them in the, in the spring. So, you know, kind of assume, okay, well, mm-hmm. it's been sitting in water, you know, being bleached by the sun since whenever this thing dropped. But, you know, I suppose it's possible that that could just be from, you know, give me a clue also of the yeah, locations you, that the deer have been spending if their if late you season. Can, if
2: you could find them when they're like still bloody, when they come off, it's like a great, it's a great indicator, you know, because the sun, you, you get a buck that lives in a cat marsh, usually the sheds you find are more bleached out. Than like, say you find a shed in, like, a more piney, huh. like, big big wood forest. And it, it almost tells you, like, okay, well, this deer is living in more shaded areas, you know, just because of the, the light transmission on the antler and how it changes its color.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So
2: so when you, when you find a shed, you could really, like, if you're trying to target a specific buck or something, like, you'll find his shed and be like, wow, he's got a really dark antler. If you get lucky enough to find one that falls off. You're like, wow, this ant was really dark. Well, this duck, this deer is probably living in a very dark area where he's got a lot of overhead cover versus you find a bleached out shed. Okay, this duck, this buck is probably living in a more sun-exposed
1: area. Yeah, I'll have to pay more attention to that when I start finding sheds. Usually by the time I find them, it's like March or April, and they've been on the ground for you know several weeks.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes when you find them, when they first call off, they're like a goldmine of information.
1: Yeah, I think this year I'll be doing more hunting into the late season than I've done in past years. So it should be a good opportunity yeah. for me to start, you know, figuring more of that stuff out. Yep, yeah, and that and finding sheds will help you a lot in late season, <laughs> you
2: know. If, you, if you're not finding sheds, you're probably not in the right spot for late season. Right, right. Yeah you've gotta be finding sheds in those areas, you know it could be the best looking spot ever, but if it doesn't have sheds in it it's not holding the right things for that big buck later on because once 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 the rut is over, that thing is looking for food I mean he's starving, you know he's so run down he just all he wants to do is lay there and eat, you know, so you gotta find those spots where he can do that,
1: yeah, and i'm I'm thinking I'm ahead of a couple places where I found some very sizable sheds in areas that have a lot of that type of cover I've been talking about earlier. Where you know, like waist high grass, dogwood, alders. Mm-hmm. It's like they must, if they're leaving the sheds there, and you're finding it, it's not just like a random one. Like you find you know multiple from different deer in that type of habitat. That's probably a clue right there that late season. You know, that's the shift they're they're doing.
2: Yeah, and if if you want to have big. Bucks in big woods areas late season, you got to be finding those sheds. Like, a lot of the mature bucks, like they don't want to travel. You know, they don't want to travel. They want to, they want to be in a place where they can just chill out and eat and relax. You know, a lot of times I find, like for me, it's a lot of drainages in my areas. Like they love to hang out in the big drainages because they got that food down at the bottom of the drainage and they can climb up the wall of the big drainage and sit up there in bed.
1: Yeah, and then they just they can just live and not have to cover but a couple hundred yards every day. Yep. And
2: that's what people are like, oh these bucks are all vanished. Like after the rut and stuff, it's they didn't vanish. They just they went to their places where they gotta recover. And like they these mature animals, they find places that are like these recovery zones where they can go and seek those out. And for the longest time when I was younger, I used to always think, oh, the big bucks climbed out of the mountains and went down to the agricultural areas. But I started to really learn. I'm like, well, that's not true. I was just looking in the wrong spot. And now, like, I have spots in these mountains around me that every spring I can go in there and I find a dozen sheds. Like, in big woods. Like, here, here I had this buck that was four miles down the ridge, and I had him on camera during the rut. And early season, September, even like, and then all the bucks, all the giant bucks that I had on camera all went to the same place during the winter, you know? So if you can find those spots where those big bucks can live in those big woods areas, you'll find all of them late season. You'll find
1: these like clusters of these big bucks. And by that time time of year, I mean, they're obviously tolerating one another because they're just surviving.
2: Oh, yeah. They're, they're By that time, they're grooming each other. Yeah. Like, they had no problem anymore.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, cause they, and they're sociable. And the, the thing is, too, when you find these locations, you're like, oh, you know how, like, you typically think a big buck is bedding back to cover and acting like this. You find these beds in these areas and you're like, these are doe beds. There's just all does bedded butt-to-butt butt on the top of a hill or something. And you think they're does, but realistically, they're actually bucks. And the bucks are grouping together. And when they group together and they're sociable like that, they start bedding like those again. Huh. So you'll find these spots in, like, early season, you'll see that too. That's why I say wind-specific isn't such a critical thing for betting. Is like when the, the bucks are all bachelored together, they almost dead – they're going the bedding more like those in a lot of situations. So like they will be bedding at the butt, you know, and that they don't only, they only start like bedding when the when, or back to cover, win the back, you know, like they put, put themselves in it, that traditional bedding situation that you want to hear is when the bucks are by themselves and they have to do it. But if they, if they have other gears to cover their back, they're going to be more flexible
1: yeah, that make because plus the other thing too is like early season, you know, the cover and the you know foliage and everything is everything's so grown up that betting like a doe does makes sense because I mean does are usually betting in those types of areas, the thickest you know stuff they can get into anyway. And they're they're betting that way because it's giving them the advantage of numbers being able to bed in those thicker spots where they might not be able to see as far. So it makes sense that early season yeah. the bachelor group of bucks might do the same. and I guess same thing late season. Yep. Yeah, and that's a big mistake people make early season. Like you you walk it to a spot, you'll be like, Oh,
2: there's buck sign right here, there's a scrape, there's a rub. It's only it's only a hundred yards from the parking lot. I better I better I gotta push in to get to those bucks. It's like, uh, hang on, buddy, hang on. Maybe you should get up a tree right here. Because that buck doesn't know any better yet. He's not getting pushed. He might be the first person to hunt that spot. He might be sitting there. You know, and they're not going to get pushed away from that good food, food source until they get pressured, you know. And once they get pressured away from that food source, then they're going to switch over and all disappear and get way out there and hide because they just don't want to be bothered. And then it'll switch over to a natural food source. But if, if you see a lot of big bucks around bean fields or something early, they're probably right there the first week until they get bumped out. And if you find a spot where nobody hunted it, I mean, you're golden. You find, you go to an old parking lot where you hunt or something, there's an old apple tree sitting there. That could be dynamite the first week.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I thinking of a few spots that we've hunted in college or just knocking on doors that were like that, where it's like, man, early season, you know, you get these little backyard properties or whatever, there's like a little woodlot behind them and apple tree in the yard. And it's like unbelievable you know, that first week. But if you were to go back there in like October, November, it'd be like not even worth hunting. Yep.
2: Yeah. And so many guys, when they hunt these, hunt, like they get this mentality, like I got to get on that buck bed I found in the winter time. It's like, maybe you don't. Because a lot of times in September you can't even see the beds when you're scouting in the winter from September. Like they're, they're laying right in the grass. You know, they got all that grass. Why Why not just lay right there in the grass?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, the, the area that that I've been referring to a couple of times throughout the podcast, I'm, I found an area where a lot of bucks are using it right now, right? In this this general, you know, couple hundred acre area. But back in September, I was struggling to find buck sign. Like, I just couldn't find Everywhere I went, I could not find it anywhere. Um, and what I'm thinking yeah. may, maybe likely is that these deer were bachelored up in maybe some of the nearby, you know, CRP and agricultural areas that didn't have access to and that once they got pushed off of those resources, oh, yeah. now, now I can find them.
2: Yeah. Oh, man, you get a bean field that's two miles down the road, don't even bother looking for buck sign in the woods. You ain't going to find it, you know. Just go sit in the bean field and count heads. Like, all right, yeah, that's a good buck, that's a good buck. Okay, yeah, all right, I already know where the big buck bedding is for later on when I want to hunt it now I know there's a good buck in the area from checking these bean fields. Now I can focus on these buck beds when the bucks get pushed off the beans. You yep. know, it's some of that stuff is such a draw for those deer. I mean, they'll just completely vacate an area, you know, and they'll just, they'll not, they won't, they won't exist there for anything, you know, and you'll, you'll just go in there and you'll find dosa sign. you're like, where are the bucks? You know, but they're, they're so other than the rut, and when you're focusing on like pre-rut, like we've been talking about, focusing on the scrapes and stuff like that, with that pattern, those deer are so specific on their food. You know, you're, you're hunting their food or you're hunting their does. And there's no, no other way around it.
1: Yeah. So just, you just gotta be, gotta be reactive to what's going on at whatever time of the year it is, I guess. And, and just focus on staying yep. on them instead of instead of trying to guess or go based off of history all the time.
2: Yep. And the, the pattern is going to be predictable anywhere you go. Once you learn it, you learn it. And like, all right, they're going to switch. You know, it's like some of the spots I hunt now, like it's pretty ridiculous early season for me anymore. People are like, how do you see so many deer? It's like, well, I've hunted this spot every September for the last six years, you know, it's like, okay, this week is probably going to be the same every single year. It's going to hold a big buck for a week. And then he's going to get pushed out, you know? So it's like, that's why, like I say, those little, little spots when, when we started talking, those little spots, you know, you just hit those first because that's a lot of times. Those are like the summer beds. you know, those little plots and stuff. There's seems to be around more houses and stuff. And it's just like, that's, Kind of more like a summer feeding area for them, you know. And then those, and then they just get pushed back into the that nasty stuff later on, you know. Open opening day anywhere in the country, I ain't gonna be pushing a thousand yards into a cattail swamp, you know. I'll I'll be hunting right on the edge of it until I see that. Okay, yeah, they're getting pressured enough that they're gonna be wanting to go in there because they don't feel safe. You know, but until they don't, until they get bumped and like every spot you hunt that time of year, if there's no pressure in it, like you're bumping the deer back yourself. So hunt it, hunt it accordingly, hunt it like a summer pattern the first time you hit it. And if, if that didn't work out and you busted it up the next time you hunt it, now you're going to push farther in.
1: Yeah. I made that mistake before hunting past where the deer actually are, assuming they'd be pushed further back. Yeah, you just walk.
2: You walk right past the, almost ninety percent of the deer, and you're like, Oh, that was a dumb idea." Yeah, I've been there. I've done it a lot, you know. Because the biggest thing, you know, like, everything I learn is from screwing up, you know. And I screw up a lot. This year, you know, the amount of bucks that I jumped this year is ridiculous, but. I had enough opportunities to kill two of them, you know, so I didn't screw up too bad. I I, I didn't screw up two days. <laughs> That's the
1: way I look at it. Would you go as far as to say that if you're not jumping bucks, you're probably not in the game as much as you think you are? Oh, yeah. Uh, I I want to jump them. I, I don't even get pissed off when I jump a deer anymore. I get happy. I'm like, I was right.
2: You know, yeah. okay, next time I do that, I won't do that here. <laughs> next time I'm not going to push that hard, yep. you know. And that's a lot of these spots I'll hunt, like early season in September, i like, I'll bust it up the first time I ever try it. And then the next year i will like, I'll never do that again. I'm just going to not push in that deep. And then the second year around, the deer walks right past me. I'm like, all right, that worked. You know, because they're so predictable that time of year. It's like any spot there's going to be a good buck bedding area, there's going to be a, a buck in it. You know, if you have if you have a good population of bucks around your
1: area, yeah. yep.
2: if not, then you got to find them. You know, you got to you got to kind of scout the perimeter. You check check the nocturnal sign. If you don't have a lot of deer population, you got to check the nocturnal sign so you don't disturb the bedding. You know, just like okay, he's going to be out here at one o'clock in the morning. Okay, yeah, I got big buck tracks on the side of this field or something coming out. All right, he's probably bedding in this this little patch of meadowy grass over here on the corner. All right, I'll move in and check it now and I'll work my way in and hunt it. You know, or you, you get up that time, that time of year, a lot of times they're moving in the the mornings in daylight. So like you can get it to a vantage point where you can see them and just glass it, you know, that's, that's something I didn't, didn't uh, talk about too. When I'm, still hunting these uh bedding areas and stuff i always have optics you know i'm always carrying binoculars i I carry like a eight power binocular like an eight by 40 i use a just cheap vortex crossfire i'm not trying to look a thousand yards i just want to look a hundred yards through the woods yep you know but if i anytime i feel like is that a deer you know how many times have you stare stare at a log or something in the woods you know, like, <laughs> guess, like yep. is that a is that a deer or is that not a deer? You know, like oh, I got I got a chest chest pack with binoculars on it. You know, I just pull those out and look. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a piece of wood. You know, and, and or sometimes you go, oh, yep, that is a deer. I gotta I gotta pay attention because I almost screwed it up. You know, so yeah. like I almost walk around with the binoculars attached to my head sometimes. Like I use, I use the eight powers because like literally half the time they're focused in at 25, 30 yards sometimes when I'm doing this. Cause like, if you're moving quiet enough, you might not jump that deer until you step on them. And like, you see something that might be a deer or something, just pull the binoculars out and look at it and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's a piece of ear. That's a, a little tip of antler tine. Like sometimes you just like see that little thing and you're like, I don't know about, that doesn't look like a, a stick you know, just pull the binoculars up and confirm. It sounds goofy looking at something 20 yards away of binoculars, but I mean, sometimes you pick one out and you're like, Oh, whoops, I didn't see that one.
1: Yep. Yeah. I've got some, uh, seven by 45s and seven by 28s and the seven by 28s would be probably perfect for this cause they're nice light compact, you know, easy to pull in and mm-hmm. out of a, a pocket or, you know, have on a light, uh, harness. Whereas the forty fives, the optical quality is really nice. And low light, they blow the twenty eights out of the water, but they're they yeah. kind of feel like overkill for everything else.
2: Yeah. I use uh eight by forty twos. Yep. I think I'm using. Now I just I had that Alaska Guide Creations chest pack and that thing has everything in it for me. I carry binoculars, I had the range finder in there. I have my milkweed for checking the wind. And then on the other side, I got my knife, my compass. On the bottom zipper, I have my headlamp, spare batteries, and extra contact lenses. And that's, like, my go bag. Like, you know, because if I'm if I'm hunting, like, anytime I step in the woods, I'm ready to go. You know, like, I can, I can see a big buck jump the road in front of me and, like, oh, crap. Grab my chest pack, throw it on me, flip it on, grab my bow, and I'm running, you know. I might be in my slippers and my blue jeans, but, you know, sometimes sometimes stupid things like that will give you an opportunity. But if you're not ready for it, you never know.
1: Yep. Cause
2: especially during the rut, you never know. You'd be driving down the road, going to hunting spot, and you look over the ditch and there's a big buck with a doe. It's like, well, if I can get, get him and get le- just walk off the step off the road and have a legal shot, why not, you know? You know, you got to just capitalize on what, what's presented to you, especially hunting public land.
1: So like oh, yeah. If it's
2: legal, might as well take it, take advantage of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell people sometimes it's like, you know, sometimes I go back, you know, a couple miles into an area in the, the hopes that by doing that, I'll, you know, be getting on to less pressured deer. But I'm definitely not above killing one, you know, a hundred yards from the truck, and I'd much prefer that for the the drag aspect if it is a possibility.
2: Yep, efficiency kills deer. You
1: know, the more efficient you you
2: are with a system, the better off you're going to be. Yep. You got. You know, I if I if I have a pair of gloves, they go in the same pocket every day, in my jet jacket, like. Everything I put back in the same place and everything, every single day. I screw up just as much as everybody else. And I think everybody else needs to understand that too on these podcasts. The people that shoot a lot of nice deer screw up just as much as everybody else. It's just yeah. got that one extra opportunity you know, because we just put ourselves in that situation where your odds are higher every single time.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And,
2: Keep honing that edge. You know, if you're not good at something, practice it. You know, if you, oh, I can't, I've never stalked a deer before. Well, you better start stalking deer because being able to stalk a deer translates right over to setting up on a bed. You know, you don't know that deer's there, but you're still physically going in like you're stalking him. You know, he, he might be there. So you're stalking in with the intentions that deer's going to stand up in that spot you know, and if you if you practice stalking on a deer that you know is there, you really learn quick. Like what you can get away with and what you can't. You know, I'll, I'll stalk a I'll stalk a deer in the middle of the summer just to see if I can get into it. You know, and that's when I'm still hunting these areas because I keep practicing that. That's why I keep putting myself in positions because like I was hunting Pennsylvania this year and I could have shot. Five bucks that were three and a half years old, eight corners, like a hundred, hundred and fifteen inches. Yep. You know, a lot of people would have been like floored to shoot that deer. Like, it wasn't what I wanted to shoot, but I mean, because I keep doing it and practicing it, it was, I was able to get in that position. And if that guy wants to shoot that deer, he's got him now. He just, he did it. He's already, he already
1: knows what to do. Well, I. Appreciate you taking the time out of your Sunday to, to come hop on here and, and do some chatting about deer. Yeah, no problem. It's what I love to do. I love helping
2: people. So, Love talking about deer.
1: <laughs> That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.